and welcome to another episode of On Air, a podcast focused on breaking down systemic racism and bias in the advertising, technology, and consulting industries. I'm your host, Jessica Hartley, and I'm also VP of Strategy at Instrument, a digital branding and innovation agency headquartered in Portland, Oregon. It is my delight and pleasure to bring you this special episode featuring a good friend of mine and executive director at Hack the Hood, Tiffany Shimate. Tiffany and I have a fireside chat talking about the future of work and how companies can create safe spaces for BIPOC talent. I hope you'll enjoy. Everyone, there's Tiffany. Hey, girl. Hi. Hi, everyone. So, Tiffany, welcome. Welcome to Instrument. We are, and I know we had a prep session, but uh, you have an amazing group of humans here um, that are dedicated and interested and excited about uh, learning more, about growing more, about recognizing where our gaps are. And that's across all of us, not just, um, you know, everybody in the organization. Mm. Where are our gaps? Where are our biases? What should we be doing mm-hmm. and thinking about differently? So I think the first thing I want to start with is just, you know, share a little bit about your career and your journey yeah. and sort of how you got today, got to where you are today, you do sit at that intersection of nonprofit and education and technology and equity. And you share a little bit about your career journey for everyone. I have to make sure that everybody stays on mute because this is not like a webinar thing. So, and I'll go on mute too. Thanks, Tiffany. No problem. Can you all hear me okay? Great. Well, first of all, Jessica, thank you for the invitation. Of course, when Jessica calls, it's really hard to say no. So she didn't share that part. You know, when Jessica Hartley calls your phone, you have to say yes. Uh, So I'm really excited to be here. Um, And yeah, I'll jump into my story. As Jessica mentioned, I am the executive director of an organization that's based in Oakland, California called Hack the Hood. Uh, I'm actually very new. My first day on the job was June 1st. Uh, That was also the first day of the youth protest here in Oakland after George Floyd's murder. Um, And I'll be honest, I had resigned from my previous position and had planned that for the week I was going to relax, you know, maybe read up a little bit, read some books. And then that Tuesday or Wednesday, George Floyd was killed. And then I started work that following Monday. So I tell that story because it is such a part of the work that I've been doing for my entire career, but also connected to what you all are doing. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that, but a bit about my history. Born and raised in Newark, New Jersey, I started my career as an educator, actually. Uh, I worked in the Office of Special Education for DC Public Schools uh, as my first job, actually, uh, back then, and then transitioned to teaching. And I was a special education teacher and then spent some time in college access work. I have a pretty winding path to education technology, but the bottom line, the theme has always been, how do we create accessible learning spaces so that we are able to bring voices that are marginalized to the center of opportunity. So for me, it's a correct and a seamless connection between the work that I do now today at Hack the Hood and also as an educator. As you read with our mission, our vision is to really ensure the economic mobility of Black, Latinx, and Indigenous communities. And why those communities specifically? 
we can talk more about this and we'll go more in depth, but I truly believe that when we're working with the most marginalized communities, everyone is lifted. So I think about my work in special education and uh, special education law and the ADA. And when you walk around outside, you'll see dips in sidewalks, right? That's something that came about because of disability law, but we all benefit from that, right? So it's not just for people who are in wheelchairs, but now it's also for mothers who are with their children. Uh, it's also for those of us who may go shopping and have a lot of bags and have a shopping cart, right? Something as simple as an adjustment that was made because of some a group of people who were marginalized now impacts everyone. So that's the view that I bring with me to this work. Um, my career in education started because of my own experience with my family and with my mother. Uh, when I was young, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so I spent my entire childhood and uh, teenage years actually trying to figure out how do I make the, more, the world better and more accessible for her, but also understanding to her needs. And so that brings me to Hack the Hood. The work that we're doing here is trying to set up a community so that our students are receiving quality education, but also that they're going into learning spaces and workspaces that are ready to receive them where they can thrive. I love that. Thank you so much, Tiffany. And as part of this, everyone, we will, you'll have an opportunity um, uh, as we go through to ask questions. As I mentioned, this is going to be extremely interactive. And so uh, we do want to hear your questions, um, the big things and the small things. I'll kick us off. I obviously have a few prepared questions for you. Um, I want to start with um, this idea about you know this this myth that there's this sort of um world of all of this unskilled talent right like just people that you know don't necessarily have education that don't know how to do things um which then creates this uh this sort of myth that there aren't talent that there isn't talent out there um you know that there aren't uh you know i think about recently uh, the Google article that came out where they're going to train up 100,000 uh, women focused on Black and African-American women. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a backlash of like, yeah. okay, great, that's lovely. Um, but why aren't you, you know, there's plenty of talented people already out there that are already right. skilled. <laughs> Where's the balance of going to find those people as well? And mm -hmm. then as challenges as all of us are facing as executives at corporations, how do we keep those, get them in here mm. and then keep them here and create those environments that will be um, conducive for them to thrive and grow and develop? Um, what, what's your response and, and how are you engaging with employers and corporations around mm -hmm. this idea that there is no talent, there is no pipeline. And uh, so that's why it's so hard to, to find talent and, and bring them in. Yes, the illusion of the pipeline problem. Uh, that is definitely something we deal with a lot. Um, I just had a phone call with a friend yesterday and she was saying how she's the only woman lawyer who's African-American at her uh, job. And they were talking about increasing diversity, et cetera. And she said plainly, she said, if you wanted more black women lawyers, you'd have them. Mm. And they said, well, we, what about our recruitment processes? What do, what do you mean? What do we need to do? Uh, and they said that they recruited at Harvard Law. 
And she said, well, have you added Howard Law to that, right? So it's really thinking about, um, I think we have to undo the myth that there is a pipeline issue, right? We have talent that is everywhere. It's a matter of who is connected to opportunities. And so when you reframe the problem and say, wait a minute, there's talent out there. How do I go and seek it? I think it gives you more solutions. Um, we're dealing with this right now at Hack the Hood and really trying to figure out how do we do our own recruitment. And someone said, we're going to have to take more of an active approach to this, right? Like beyond our networks, how do we really leverage what we have at our fingertips to really find the talent that we say we're training? Uh, in my last position, uh, I worked at an organization, an incredible organization called AI for All. And our mission was to increase diversity in artificial intelligence. And my responsibility was to work with the university partners. And I'll admit, uh, when I started there, I said I wanted to work with only the top tier universities. So I built partnerships with Stanford, Columbia, University of Michigan, and we were really proud of that. But what I noticed after a while was that the students we were recruiting already had the access, right? So here in the Bay Area, I'm right here in Oakland, the students who were attending our Stanford programs were daughters of Silicon Valley investors and VCs and engineers. So when I transitioned to Hack the Hood, I started to reframe it, right? Why was I only thinking about Stanford and Harvard and MIT? Right. And now I'm thinking about what about community colleges? What about Foothill Community College? What about Morehouse? What about Spelman? They have a data science institute. Right. And if we're focusing on data science, how do we really connect with some of the spaces of learning that are really trying to engage marginalized voices and bring them to the center of opportunity? So when the pipeline question does come up, my response is always tell me how you hire. Tell me how you recruit talent. Let's have a conversation about that, because I think that's where the knowledge needs to happen. And that's where a lot of the conversations around our own subconscious biases really come out and play out in our interview processes. Oh, that's great. And, you know, I'll admit we're real revamping and have have been so I think for the last year or more our uh, recruiting, sort of uh, how we recruit, where we recruit, mm -hmm. what that looks like, not just for full time, but also as we're thinking about um, continuing to evolve our uh, internship program right. and trying to attract more BIPOC talent, right? Again, because part of the pipeline is how do you get people early to, to grow and learn, develop as well. And so those have been some of the things. What's your advice or what have you encountered because we see a lot of the big companies and corporations saying we're going to put all this money in and they do all these funky advertising and stuff. But it really, truly comes off across as like uh, opportunistic and inauthentic. What's your advice uh, to those folks who are trying to be authentic? Um, you know, not trying to be opportune, genuinely, you know, trying yeah. to, to change how, what's your advice for how we show up differently and how we think about approaching those partnerships? Absolutely. I want to take your example of the internships. Mm. So I did a round table with some Hack the Hood alumni a few months ago, and there's one woman who always stands out to me. And she said, after Hack the Hood, I did seven internships and apprenticeships but I was never hired for a full-time job. 
And so I think it's really important, especially when we're talking about authenticity and wanting to do this work well, that we think about the pathway for talent, right? So let's say they're coming from school or they come from a program like Hack the Hood, they're not automatically going to jump to VP of engineering, right? But if you are a company that's willing to train them, who are the people you're surrounding them with? And then what's the next step for that particular intern? Uh, what are some of the learning outcomes? Uh, outcomes and goals that you have for them. And then really thinking, is this something we want to bring, is this someone we want to bring on for an entry-level position? And how do we map that out for those roles? Um, I will say that in my space in education tech, the authenticity comes in when it's, hey, bring us your students and your interns, bring us your apprenticeships, etc. And then after four months, it's done, right? Like, Equity isn't like there's no time limit <laughs> for equity. There's no timeline for when you say, oh, we've done a good job at this. Now right. we need to go back. And I right. think that's something we have to consider. Right. So let's dive into equity and equity solutions. Um, I know, you know, you hear the word equity used a lot and it has been used a lot, I think over the, the last decades, but we see a lot more of that as we see this uh, increased emphasis and shift to diversity yeah. or it was just D, it was a D and I, first it was just D and then it right. was D and I and now it's D, I and now it's D, I, B, J, right? Justice huh. and belonging. Oh, you hadn't heard that one? I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah, okay. I, I've seen, I've seen D, I, B and D, I, B, J. Um, hmm. And part of it is how do you, um, well, uh, let me not defend it. I, I my intent is I, I think the, the point is um, uh, the the idea of justice. It's not just mm. about equity, but also about justice is is right. a really important piece. And also, how do we continue to think about uh, intersectionality of all of this mm. as well, right? Because there's still a heavy emphasis on race and ethnicity um, in a lot of our conversations. But there's LGBTQ plus IA. There is you know, people with different abilities, um, uh, you know, so there are so many other areas um, that often sort of get marginalized themselves. And mm -hmm. when you look at the intersection of race and ethnicity with those other marginalized mm -hmm. identities, right, um, causes problems. So when you use the word equity and when you talk about equity solutions, can you share a little bit more of like, what's the, like, let's start with the basics. I'm going to say, take me back to 101. Right. What do you mean by equity and equity mm -hmm. solutions in this context? And maybe give us some examples of, of how you are encouraging employers and other companies to employ equitable solutions. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you raised the justice question. Um, personally, I've been thinking about the words equity and justice because they aren't interchangeable. And I agree that equity does not equal justice. So when I think about equity, I think about for example, it's Black History Month, so I'm going to focus on uh, Black youth and communities right now. I think about having equal access to opportunity, but also understanding the environment that Black students and Black communities are in um, within this country in the U.S. context. So, for example, I know that here in California, 
fewer, less than 5% of Black students are taking APCS exams. And what that leads to is a lack and sort of a lower percentage of those students going on to study the STEM fields in higher education and continuing education opportunities. In terms of equity, what that would mean for the school district is really pulling more Black students in and taking initiative to really make these accessible spaces. Not saying, oh, we have the course available, sign up for it, but really going to Black communities, going to students, going to families and parents and saying, this is something for you. So when I think of equity, I think of um, power and I think of the responsibility of power really taking initiative to open up for new communities to enter and share power, share that dynamic. But when I think about justice, um, this is something that I'm going through right now. So I don't have a complete solution around that definition. But when I think about justice and I think about what's just happened to all of us globally, right? Like we're talking about George Floyd and SARS and in SARS in Nigeria, right? Like these things are in like related. Um, I really think about giving up power to be honest. And it's really hard to have that conversation in the context of a corporation that is business focused, that is um, about capitalism. So when I do have conversations, I talk about the value of diversity in building um, innovative products, right? We know that innovative products are created and best created when the teams are the most diverse. And that's the way I've been having those conversations around equity and the importance of it. Uh, but at some point, Jessica, we're gonna have to move away from equity and DEI being connected to money. Because right now, that is the conversation, right? When we're talking about, like, I'm in the Bay, right? We talk about DEI all the time, <laughs> right? And it's all about time is money, right? We want this team because it's going to build this innovative product, and then we're going to make more money. And then, you know, the cycle continues. But what happens when it's human-centered? And I think that's the vision for justice when we're talking about human-centered technologies, and we're talking about creating something that feels intangible, but it isn't. So at Hack the Hood, when we talk about justice, we're talking about, yes, I want you to learn Python, right? I want you to know those basics and tech fundamentals, but not to just build up another company, but to build for your community. And that for us is the beginning of what justice is looking like. I love that. I think that's important. And it's something that I've been seeing uh, you know, more of in, in my research and studies and in articles that I'm reading around this idea around justice, justice and how it is not the same as equity. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I think, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, we had, we were sort of this sort of rudimentary sort of equality versus equity and everyone right. uses <laughs> that one cartoon, right? With the, right, with the gate. The <laughs> yes. Right. And we were like, yes, that's what it means. You just give the shorter kid the bigger box. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. folks were like, mm, no, actually that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Cause you're all there. All of those people are outside the fence, right? They're right. not inside the fence. Um, so there's also just like inclusion, exclusion of all of those communities together. And it's not just saying, hey, you need a bigger box, right? Mm. Which is what a lot of the um, sort of pushback when we talk about, um, oh, shoot, um, I'm losing the words, the words of 
um, making sure that you create spaces for underrepresented minorities, right? In colleges and educations. I don't know why the word is escaping me. Um, Affirmative action. There we go. Ah. (laughs) Affirmative action, right? A lot of people Mm. were like, oh, well, you're just giving them more. And it's like, no, like true, (laughs) really sort of creating these um, environments and giving them what they need because they haven't got what they need along the way, right? Like you've had a bigger stick and a longer stick for way, you know, much longer than other folks have had. And so we're trying to accommodate for that. Um, You can't just say, let's give them the same or give them a little more and think that that's gonna solve the problem. Connected to this idea of equity and the understanding of justice. And I think it's also interesting too, to kind of probe and dig on, because you don't typically hear about the word justice in capitalism and justice in organizations. We don't hear that. You don't hear companies talking about, here's what justice means for me or for Mm -hmm. how we show up in the world. Um, And I think some of that obviously just comes down to Western culture, comes down to, Mm. um, uh, comes down obviously to capitalism and to your point around this idea of making money. And even a lot of our diversity and inclusion topics are around, how do we diversify to make more money? Like that was the argument. (laughs) It was like, we need more diversity is going to make our products more kick-ass so that we can then show up, right? Um, So as we think about organizational culture, I mean, we think about systemic racism, right? Which is sort of the underbelly across all, I mean, you got to get paid, I got to get paid, my kids like to eat food, right? Um, So we're not running away from this idea of needing to make money and keep economies going. But when we sort of step back and look at organizational culture, organizational infrastructure and also culture, particularly as it relates to like creating safe spaces and more inclusive environments for BIPOC employees, right? So we've got them in the door. What 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 are the things that you're seeing that are, let's start with some of the gaps. Like what are some of the gaps that you're seeing? Um, you know, as you think about even some of your hack the hood um, talent that are coming through, great, yeah. we've got them placed, but then now they're in an environment right. that is not kind. Um, right. You know, what's what are some of those gaps that you want? Yeah. So you hit the nail on the head, right? Once you get that offer letter, sometimes that feels like, okay, I've made it, but that's actually just the beginning. Uh, We want to make sure that young people can thrive in these spaces. It's not just about bringing them to. So I do believe that there's a gap there in terms of having a skill set and knowing how to thrive in a space. Um, We, as I mentioned earlier, we have this incredible tech foundations curriculum. We have, I mean, great. But the piece that I believe is our secret sauce is what we're calling our socio-political curriculum, where we're taking issues that are happening in our world every day that are relevant in this space and then having discussions about those so that students know, okay, this is coming up and I may want to be mindful of this. I think on the other end, in terms of the responsibility of our companies and responsibilities of organizations, talking about culture is hard. I'm not gonna sit on a fence or on a mountain and say, I've got it all worked out. This is something that I am dealing with as a leader, even as a black queer woman, like I am struggling with that. And I think one of the 
biggest pieces is how do you continue to have those conversations and really try to have open, honest feedback with your team. So I also realize as, as executive director, people may not be fully open and honest with me. So does that mean that we need a people operations person where that is their responsibility? Do we need a third party to come in to support with 360 reviews? Um, I think ERGs are great. Employee resource groups are incredible. Um, but in my in my experience, ERGs have held the grasp of that work. And oftentimes with no pay, right? Oftentimes um, told that they have vision and told that they're responsible for certain data points and metrics, and yet not really given the true power behind that. Um, so I would say that it's really the responsibility of CEOs to really work and engage with ERGs, but any CEO, any talent head or leader that is concerned about the sustainability of their company needs to be invested in who's staying and retention and also in diversity, right? You have to make sure that the people who are coming, you're able to retain, and that's gonna take a lot of work. Um, but I would say that the number one thing is listening. When people give you feedback, listen, act on it. Uh, don't just take it in, right? And write it on in your notepad and get rid of it. You have to act on it. I love that. Um, I mean, I was just, you know, doing the the old school, you know, Love Jones poetry slam, wanting to do all <laughs> yes. the, the finger snaps over here mm -hmm. um, for all of the pieces and points that you touched on. Um, the listening piece, the affinity groups, that's our employee mm -hmm. resource groups piece. Very, I mean, that was a big topic for us last year and a continuing mm -hmm. sort of evolution of how do you empower those groups? How do you also compensate them for the, right. you know, what they're contributing to keeping people um, yeah. in the building, right? Um, also great points. And then also your point about uh, feedback, I think broadly for leadership, but just overall, you know, something I know you and I have experienced as women and women of color in corporate America and uh, in these spaces is, uh, you know, somebody saying, oh, you're doing a great job or let me pick some random thing to tell you that's feedback for you. Um, but it is not uh, because there's a fear of there's how fear. you give that feedback. How do you give feedback in, in, in the world that we live in where feedback is wrapped in, oh my gosh, it's connected to whether this person might keep their job or not. It is wrapped yeah. into whether or not somebody is going to get a bonus or not, right? It's all connected to that. Mm -hmm. And how do you strip those things away and say, mm -hmm. well, I'm giving you feedback because I care about you as a person and I want you to develop, right? So how do you obviously have those sort of, you know, carrot and stick components of feedback, but always have that sort of centering of, I'm giving right. feedback and I need to give this feedback because it's going to help this person grow and be uh, right. better um, as an individual. So I'll ask one more question and I'm going to sure. ask you folks on the phone to uh, on the phone warm up your um, fingers for some questions um, uh, that we can bring to Tiffany. And if you want to go ahead and start popping those in, if you have a few for Tiffany, that would be great. So we're already teed up. Um, let's stay on this idea of feedback and around like the, the challenges and opportunities, I think, you know, and I, I'll speak for myself and you, I mean, you just, you just, I, I was just sort of hearing, looking in a mirror, looking at you when you're talking about like what it means to be an executive and an, a leader in an organization um, and the balances that we have to navigate between being a person of color 
you know, you're you're in an oppressive situation that is constructed by systemic racism, but you're also, you talked <laughs> about power, empower something we've been talking a lot about across the organization. Like yeah. I recognize that at my hierarchy, the power that I have versus yep. where somebody who might be a junior or mid-level person in this organization, they don't even have the power that I have. Can you talk a little bit about the differences and sort of challenges and opportunities you're seeing with how corporations and companies uh, it, you know, should be navigating versus mm-hmm. both that upper level, right? Which is often, oftentimes a bigger ceiling to crack in terms of even getting diverse talent in there versus how we are supporting and sort of shepherding lower level talent. Yeah. Hmm. So there's something that I want to talk about, about feedback really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. That is top down. Mm. And I think it's really important that leaders like us and other people who are on the executive level understand that mistakes are a part of the work. And it's important that we create environments where that's able to happen. There's something you mentioned about fear Mm -hmm. and fear in giving feedback, fear in the response to that, fear that we have subconsciously, fear that plays out, that we have to name. Um, and it's hard to do that in a corporate space. It's hard to do that virtually. What like our world has been turned upside down. But I think it's really important that leaders name mistakes as being okay, name the fears that they have, honestly and openly, and then encourage the team to name their fears and some of the mistakes that they've made and share those with each other. The reason why I think that's important is because I think it breaks down all of the walls that we put up at work. And it's really been helping me. This is something that I'm struggling with and working through right now. Like, how do I showcase my leadership as well as my fear, as well as the mistakes that I've made? So that's one thing. You asked about um, the different challenges that BIPOC leaders may have in supporting uh, talent that is not at the executive level. And again, another mirror, I'm working through this right now. One of my biggest things as an educator and before I had this role was, I always said, no matter how far up I go, I'll never lose sight of the community. I'll always make sure, exactly, and you're laughing, (laughs) you're laughing. I'll always make sure that I keep a pulse on what's happening because I wanna make sure that I'm connected and that I remain connected. And I think that's really important, but there's a privilege in where we are. And part of that privilege is being blind. Like part of what comes with that privilege too is the lack of privilege where we're no longer connected. No matter how much we try, we're no longer connected. So I'm trying to figure out how do I, yes, have open relationships, but find allies within the team, right? Find allies within the team that can help support that, right? If I let it be known that my main mission is to ensure that we retain our talent because we care about their growth, not because we care about, like, yes, we care about our product, but we care about your growth truly and honestly. If I can verbalize that, that means that the directors who I manage are able to train and coach in that way. Unfortunately, no matter how many times I try, and I definitely want to keep this open, 
because of where I am now, I may not have that direct pulse, that direct connection anymore. And so it's important to build up other structures so that I'm still getting that authentic feedback and knowing that when talent doesn't feel supported, that we're doing something to change it and to shift it. Um, and I'm working through that. I don't have a lot of answers for that. Um, that's definitely something I'm open to. But right now, it looks like the form of allies within the directors on the team and folks who are directly coaching the younger I, talent. I love that. And I, I know for us at Instrument, um, definitely, again, in the last you know nine to 10 months, we've also been working through um, that piece about like you're up here, but how do you stay connected? How do you empower your people to stay connected? Um, but also how do you give voice to people across the organization, right? Right. Um, and so we've been bringing, uh, you know, we sort of brought in, we've had work groups before, but sort of bringing in advisory councils and uh, places where we're like, hey, we need your advice, support and input to make decisions. Um, we can't make this for ourselves. So um, it's so good to hear you say that. And also, to, I mean, we know that everybody has, it's, it's all, we're all struggling with these things um, in this new world order that we are. But thank you also <laughs> for your vulnerability um, uh, in that. All right, we've got a couple questions and folks, please get them in. Um, this is from Jared. And uh, Jared's question is, what are the biggest missteps that you see in retention of POC? And what shifts do companies like ours need to make to make this feel like home great question Jared thank you for that hmm. one of the missteps that I see is honestly um talent feeling isolated and alone um, I was talking to someone who's a classmate, actually, uh, and he was talking about his first time on his engineering team and how he wanted to ask questions of his colleagues, but felt as if everyone was so busy. And yet he was the new kid on the block. He wanted to prove himself, et cetera. So I think one of the biggest missteps is not making enough space and time for onboarding. And I know that's very basic, but I think that's really important. And when I say onboarding beyond the technical and sort of operational side of your job, but onboarding for culture. So really thinking, how do I onboard someone into who we are as a community? Uh, how do we connect with each other? What's our water cooler talk like? Like, what is that type of culture? Um, another misstep that I see is, and this is often that we hear and that we see um, as a result in our own space, is when people speak out about their experiences not being taken seriously or not being heard. Um, Everything that we see in social media and sort of everything that's happening with some of these big tech companies that blows up that we start to see, it started as a small seed, right? It started as a conversation. And I firmly believe that if we're able to have these difficult conversations and really engage with each other, again, bringing our walls down and being like, I'm actually afraid of this, or I'm a little nervous about this conversation, I just wanna put it out there we can see the human side of each other. We can start to think about what justice looks like in a corporate setting, I think, right? Um, because the goal is for us to continue to collaborate and work together, if that's the goal. Um, so I would say that that's another misstep for folks not being taken seriously. And then the third one is not preparing for people. Um, we talked about preparation equity, right? Like how do you prepare, if you say that you want a diverse team, 
and you don't have that today, just hiring a diverse team isn't the preparation. What are you doing as an organization, as leadership, as a space to make sure that it's prepared for those women who are coming in, for that BIPOC talent that's coming in, for that queer talent, that trans talent that's coming in? Like, you have to prepare for that. And if you don't, it's a setup for failure, right? It's the same with onboarding. You have a 30, 60, 90 for a reason, right? You have an onboarding schedule for a reason so that you're preparing and you're personally preparing and thinking about what the talent is gonna bring to the table. Um, this is hard work and it doesn't, you can't just put money towards it and it goes away or add an ERG and it's solved. I think it's really important that we prepare for that. And some of that is internal too. Oh, there's so much in there. That was great. I want to keep going because I could just be like, oh, let me pull back more layers of that onion. Uh, we do have another question and folks, yeah. we have 10 minutes left. I'll say eight because we I know she's, <laughs> she's got to go on to other things and we want to get you out of here on time. All right. There's a question here from Millie. Thank you, Millie. You mentioned someone at Hat the Hood couldn't get a second internship. I'm wondering how many BIPOC uh, people come into entry-level positions in companies with more experience than their white counterparts and yet mm. have way more delays in their career. Woo. That's a whole, yes. Um, any recommendations on how to acknowledge or rectify this? And I saw a lot of this at Accenture where I mm. was before here, where, um, you know, like if you didn't understand the consulting game, uh, you know, we'd hire folks from the industry, folks, BIPOC folks, definitely lots of Black folks uh, with 20 years of experience. But because they didn't have 20 years of experience in Accenture, we'd bring them in at like consultant or manager. And I remember being in meeting, they'd have somebody who, and not to be ages, but they'd have somebody with that had like five years of experience uh, in their world, um, you know, overseeing a team that was absolutely senior in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was, they talk about inequity, right? Mm -hmm. So any recommendations on how companies can acknowledge or rectify this? When I think about rectifying, I think about defining experience. Mm -hmm. When we are recruiting for talent, what are the actual skill sets that we need? Um, and really looking for those skill sets versus the markers of those skill sets. So for example, you wanna find someone who has MBA from this level of school and someone who has a bachelor's from this level and their GPA, but does that actually lead to if their work is gonna be good and of quality? So I think that's one way to do it. And then um, I'm sure every job is doing this now, but having, um, performance activities and tasks uh, so that you can really see how people operate and really see how people think through problems. Uh, I want to go back to the internship piece too because I also believe going back to this idea about experience when people put internship on their resume how is that weighted? Right. I'm thinking about Keisha who mentioned she had gone to seven or eight different internships and had not been hired what, like, what is the experience you get from seven or, that's almost a full-time job for a year, right? That is almost a year of full-time job. Yeah. So how are we weighing experiences? Um, and what are the actual, um, what is the word? Um, 
qualities that we're looking for in certain roles because those are also biased. I think if we start to have conversations about the qualities we're looking for, we start to uncover our own biases. I'll give you my own example. Uh, I had a colleague who's on my team. Uh, we were recruiting for a curriculum manager role. And one of our goals is to connect our students to boot camps, internships, and community colleges. And so um, I was looking at this resume and I said, I was like, you know, I'm a little concerned because they went to a boot camp and they did not have a four-year like degree under their belt. And so I was worried about that. And he asked me straight out, he said, but this is the work that we do. Right. This is what we're telling companies. Right. That, hey, wait a minute, like you should be able to accept these candidates because they're good at this work and because they have that experience. How are we reinscribing that in our own work? So it's hard, but <laughs> those are some things that I would say may help rectify. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, let me ask you one final question right. as we wrap up. Um, and that is around. The topic of the big topic, the very, very big topic of accountability um, as it relates to equity, inclusion and justice. Um, while we are increasing the diversity of our workforces, what are some tangible ways that you've seen um, accountability work? Right. We see in what metrics do you think are effective? We've seen this sort of, again, carrot and stick. Right. So we've seen the, you know, you don't get you don't do what you're supposed to do. You your bonuses are impacted, all these things. So there's all there's that side of it. And then there's the piece around, oh, it's, so, you know, kumbaya, it's, we care about people, <laughs> let's be great humans and hope for the best, right? You can opt into these trainings and hope for the best. What, have, what are you seeing around accountability and maybe how that shifted and, and maybe some metrics that we can think about as an organization as we continue along this journey? Yeah, I think it's all about data and the metrics, right? Looking at retention numbers, looking at qualitative data as well. Um, so how are people describing their experiences at your organization? Um, what are they saying that would actually improve their work? What are they saying that would actually improve culture or their feeling of inclusion at your organization? Those are really hard questions to ask. and um, because they set us up, we have to change, we have to shift. So I think that's really important. Um, I'm gonna say this and I hope not to regret it later, but I'm coming back to quotas. I think it's important to start somewhere. I think it's really important that people think about data and think about our person percentages, um, think about I was reading something the other day and they said, oh, well, we went from 3% to 4%. We're doing a great job, right? We can't really think in that small way. Um, so I think it's really important to look at your team and really say, okay, what do we want to do, <laughs> right? Like, who are we trying to impact? What is the work that we're trying to do? And link that with... Um, I don't think it needs to be punitive, but really say, this is a vision for us and here is why, right? I think that's the importance of data, not just throwing a number, oh, we want 50%, but why are you aiming for 50%? Um, and really try to hold yourself accountable to that and the entire team accountable to that. 
Perfect. Perfect end statement. <laughs> that was great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for the time, uh, for your wisdom, for your brilliance. I um, just, I feel so thoughtful and just thankful, excuse me, yeah. that we met two years ago. I, I know. At yes. ICS and MAP, a Black uh, tech-focused uh, 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 leadership academy for executives. She and I hit it off right away. Right away. We have remained <laughs> friends uh, since and kept in contact. So thank you so much, Tiffany, for being here. You are amazing. You guys should follow Tiffany. I'll share the document um, because she did have some slides and some stats that okay. we didn't even need. We, <laughs> we didn't need, need them. I told you it was going to be great. I love uh, We it. didn't even need, but I'll give you her LinkedIn. I'll give you her Twitter account so you guys can follow her and uh, boost up her. She's just an amazing, amazing woman. And I'm so blessed and thankful to call her friends. So thank you for being here. Um, I will wrap us up with our final uh, couple of slides. So uh, you said this, I didn't even need this quote. You said this, <laughs> Tiffany, which was basically like, you know, as we think about mm -hmm. remote and flexible and hybrid roles, this is great. We can bring in more talent here, but that's not going to solve your problems, just getting bodies and people in the door. You've got to really think about that pipeline and be intentional about all of those diversity initiatives. So um, I'm excited that you were able to be here and help us dig in and unpack and talk about some challenging things. I think also talk about hope and opportunities, which was great. And so I want to say thank you for that. And I want to say thank you to everyone here that has been able to join us today. Um, it's been great. I appreciate those folks who asked questions. The conversation continues. This work continues. It is a journey and we are never done. And I think that is something that even with quotas and numbers and percentages, we are never done. There's always more to achieve and grow with. So thank you for that. And I appreciate all of you for giving us more time today. So love you all. Thank you, Instrument. I'm so thankful to be in a place where we can have a dialogue like this and we can bring in amazing people like Tiffany. Tiffany, thank you, beautiful lady. I will talk to you, see you soon. You were a blessing and thank you all. Enjoy your weekend. Stay safe, stay warm, and uh, we will see you all soon. Thank you.